You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. All right, what we're we're focusing on uh, through this this Lenten journey, we're on this 40-day journey to freedom and and it's not the journey that actually makes us free. Right? It is Jesus through His Spirit. Jesus through the waters of baptism who, who gives us His Holy Spirit. It is Jesus who makes us free. But, but if you're like me, sometimes we have a hard time letting go of those wounds. Maybe they're self-inflicted wounds or maybe they're, they're wounds that others have given to us, but, but sometimes we have a hard time letting go of those wounds. And so as we go throughout this forgiving challenge throughout Lent, we're going to be looking at five phases that lead us to that freedom. And so what's, what's the first phase that we're looking at today? Sin, right? It's up there. It's on the screens. Uh, Vicar Rathke introduced all five of those phases for us last week. Uh, if you've been reading through the book, if you've read through days one through five, we get a, just a taste of each of those phases. And so I'm going to say all of them. And if you want to, feel free to say them with me. I like, there's going to be a lot of participation today, so just get used to it. All right, so we got sin, confession, absolution, restoration, and sanctification, right? Sin, confession, absolution, restoration, and sanctification, right? And and what we're going to see is that Jesus forgives. And we're going we're gonna to look at the story of Peter. I, I think a, a lot of us know Peter. Peter's one of the most well-known disciples. Of those 12 disciples, uh, his, his name is mentioned, or he is mentioned 200 times throughout the New Testament, which is five times more than any other disciple. So he is, the, at least in terms of, you know, if it were, I mean, it's a true story, but in terms of character development for us, so that we get to know who they are, Peter is the most well-formed character throughout the New Testament. But when we first meet Peter, we meet him, and sometimes it gets sprinkled in, we meet him with a different name. What's that name that, that Peter starts out with when we first meet him? Simon, right? And, and one of the first things that Jesus does is changes Simon's name to Peter. Now that might feel weird to us, that, that Jesus would just come in and before he does anything, just change his name. And it might even feel like rude of Jesus to do that. No, this is his name. But, but what Jesus is doing is changing the meaning, changing his identity. Because Peter, or Simon, means snub-nosed. Right? But Peter means the rock. So if, if your parents named you snub-nosed, Do you think you'd be okay with someone coming in and changing your name to The Rock? Yeah, right? I'd like to be called The Rock. Maybe if I spend more time with Robert, I'll get there. But no, um, right? But why is it? Right? Is it, is it, why does Jesus change his name? Because he hasn't done anything. Well, again, names back then had meanings. I don't know, maybe, I, I want you to spend some time this week. What does your name mean? Did, did your parents give you a name because it means something? Uh, for me, the answer is no. Um, 
I was Laura Marie until I was born. And then my parents went, "Uh uh-oh, now what are we going to do? Right? And so it took them like hours to tell anyone that I was born because they didn't have a name for me. And they were really, in their mind, they're like, we want a name that doesn't have a nickname. So they gave me Anthony. And the first thing that the doctor said when he walked in and heard the name was like, oh, a little Tony. Whoops. So my name didn't have like this great, sophisticated meaning to it, but it's who I am. Right? And Simon, Jesus comes and says, you're not snub-nosed, you are the rock. Well, maybe you're thinking, well, it's because he must have been born into the right family and Jesus wanted to give them this special meaning. Well, we see it all throughout the Gospels, but in Acts 4, we read it very specifically. Now, when he saw the boldness of Peter, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. There was nothing special about Peter. There was nothing special about the family that he was born into. He was a fisherman, which is usually the lowest of the low, right? There was absolutely nothing special about Peter. And the same can be said for you and I, right? We are common people until Jesus does something special with us. And we we read about it in Jeremiah 1. The the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now, Now in this, right, this is spoken directly to Jeremiah. So we we have to be a little careful when we use this, but but this is not the only time that God speaks about his people as special. And so I'm going to take a little bit of leeway here and use the rest of God's word, especially the Psalms, and say this to you. Right? God speaks to you and he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before I consecrated you, or before you were born, I consecrated you. I set you apart for something special. Jesus says, you are mine. I've chosen you. You belong to me. And I didn't just like roll the dice and get whoever I got. I picked you specifically, intentionally. And I have a special place for you in my work in this kingdom. And you might be saying, well, but pastor, you don't know my past. You you don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. And you're right. I don't know Every single one of you, I don't know your deep, dark, intimate pasts, but Jesus does. He knows your pasts, and he knows your future. He knows the very worst parts about you, and he still chooses you. So again, we're going to be looking at this story of Peter. We're going to be looking at Peter himself and seeing who he was and and how he kind of got brought to the height of of the church and also how he fell hard but how Jesus still appears to him and and comes to him and so Peter was was one of the most outspoken disciples Peter was the guy that you would thought oh maybe you shouldn't say that but he said it anyway Peter was the one that did the things that he just thought needed to be done and uh, he didn't really think he just did he just said right Peter was the one that when some when someone spoke 
On behalf of the disciples, it was Peter who spoke most often. Peter's the one who, who jumps out of the boat and walks on water with Jesus. And again, Peter knows Jesus well and, and gets to the point where, again, he speaks and speaks one of the most profound phrases. Now, when Jesus came to the, uh, the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, who we just talked about, or one of the prophets. But Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? And again, it's going to be Peter who's going to speak. And, and listen, how, listen, listen to how his name gets used here. Well, Simon Peter replied, he gets both names here, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you uh, that you are Peter, right? Petros is the Greek word, which which both means his name, but also really means the rock or a big boulder. I tell you, you are Petros, and on this Petros, on this rock, on this confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed. Right? This is the confession of the church, that you are the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ. Right? This is, this is Peter's confession. He's, he's the one that speaks it. But it's also been the confession of the church from that moment on. Right? This is our confession today. And so I, can we speak this together as a confession? Yeah? Okay. Right? Here we go. You are the Christ. Right? That is our confession. And again, Peter knew Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples. But also, Jesus had kind of his special three, right? Peter, James, and John. And they got to do even more things with Jesus. They were the ones who went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to see Moses and Elijah and Jesus transfigured into his glorified form. Peter knew Jesus. And so again, when we get to that Thursday, where Jesus and the 12 disciples are up in the the guest room, the upper room, gathered together for a Passover meal. Jesus says, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And all the disciples say, well, who is it? And depending on which gospel you read, Jesus gives a different way that he answers that question. But then Jesus continues and says, and one of you is going to deny knowing me. And again, Peter speaks his mind. And in Matthew, he says, Peter Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, well, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the other disciples said the same. Notice all the other disciples said it, but it's Peter who gets quoted for it. And then if, if you know the rest of the story, it's actually one of the stories that all four of the Gospels tell. Right? All four of the Gospels don't even tell of Jesus' birth, but all four of the Gospels talk about Peter's denial. And so we want to look at it today in, in Luke, and that's our, our text for today. 
Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. So right, so far he's the one that's not following, falling away. He's the one that's actually following. And when they'd kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, Well, this man also was with him. But, but Peter denied it, saying, Woman, I, I don't know him. Right, there's that first one. And then a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also were one of them. But Peter said, Man, I, I'm not. Number two. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. All right, here's his third chance. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And what I find really interesting about this story, especially with Luke's gospel, is typically in my head, that's kind of where the story of Peter's denial ends. But look at the the tidbit, the unique piece that Luke adds. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Right In my head, typically when I play this, like Jesus is off somewhere getting beaten and arrested, and Peter's off in the courtyard somewhere else. And he's, but Luke says, the Lord turned and looked at Peter, needed someone to stand beside him. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he said, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. You know, in our traditional services, we end our gospel reading with, this is the gospel of the Lord. We all say, praise to you, O Christ. This sure feels like an awful verse to end on. To then respond, praise to you, O Christ. This feels like the end. Right? Peter sinned. And he sinned big. As we talked about at the beginning of, uh, of this, uh, of the sermon is, we're going to be focusing on sin this week. And, and we don't really like talking about sin. Sin gets awkward. Sin gets messy. We don't, we don't like talking about sin here amongst ourselves, but we also really don't like talking about sin out in the world. But the question is, what is sin? Well, sin is very simply, very basically just to miss the mark. Right, so if if you're an archer and you get ready to you know to fire your arrow, you're always going to be shooting for that bullseye. That's ten points. That's your mark. So anytime you miss the bullseye, you have sinned. You have missed the mark. It's it's an archery term. But what about darts? Right, darts, how many points do you get if you hit the bullseye? Anybody know? 50. Right, you get 50 points if you hit the bullseye. Is that the most points that you can get while throwing darts? No. You can get triple third or triple 20, right? Which is, do your math, 60, right? And so what's the mark? What are you aiming for? And that's the question for the church. What's our mark? What's our goal? What are we aiming for? 
Well, for us, we have God's Word. We have the Ten Commandments. We have the words of Jesus. We have the the Sermon on the Mount. We have all of these words that this is the mark. This is what you are aiming for. But a lot of times when we get outside these walls, we're just kind of like, you know what? You do you. I'll do me. As long as you're not bothering me, we can just coexist and we can just live together. But we're all sinful. We all miss the mark. But it gets muddy when we get outside the world because they haven't signed up for the standards of Jesus. And so we can't necessarily hold them accountable to the standards of Jesus and say, well, the Bible says this, so you need to do this. So does that mean we just say, well, you do you? No. And so how do we talk to people who don't use God's word as a a rule and guide without using like, well, this is my truth and that's your truth? Well, I can guarantee that if you have a conversation with someone one-on-one, that they're all going to have their own marks that they've set up for themselves. Maybe it's a New Year's resolution. Maybe it's just goals. Maybe it's my daily goal, my weekly goals, my yearly goals, where I'm going to be a better spouse, or I'm going to be a better parent, or I'm going to be a better boss or coworker or neighbor or whatever it is. And we, we all set these marks, and I guarantee you every one of them, every one of us, can look at the marks that we've placed in our lives, that we've, that we've placed for ourselves, and say, you know what, I missed that. I missed it once, or I missed it a whole lot of times, but I have fallen short. I have missed the mark. Right? That's not just a them out there. That's a me in here. Right? And so maybe as you're thinking of the goals that you've set up for your lives, the, the marks that you've placed, the, the arrows that you've tried to shoot, the darts that you've tried to throw, you, maybe you've said to yourself, how come I keep missing the mark over and over, and over. Why am I still struggling with the same things that I struggled with as a kid, or as a, as a first-time parent, or as a, as a, as a young, you know, newly married couple? Why are we still struggling with the same things as you know, older parents or older couples that we struggled with at the very beginning? Because like I said, I know a, a lot of people, you know, people have hurt me in different ways. But no one has let me down more than me. No one has hurt me more than me. Because I keep missing the mark over and over. But even if like tomorrow, I was like, you know what? I'm going to set these high standards and I am going to hit them every single time. And I do. I'm the the best parent that I could be, the best spouse that I can be, the best pastor that I can be. Even if I could keep hitting the mark over and over and over starting tomorrow, it wouldn't be good enough. It would never be enough to satisfy me because then I'd always be aiming higher and higher. It would never be enough to satisfy me, to satisfy my wife, my children, you as a congregation. I can never be enough. And you can never be enough. And so one of the worst things that we could do would would be to gather together and just tell everybody, you know what? We're all good. It's all okay. Because what that's doing is putting a band-aid over 
a wound that needs stitches. It just, all it does is covers up what's underneath. And so as we go throughout, especially this week, our goal is to say the word simply. It's not easy, but very simply to rip off the band-aid. Right? Because the admission price into freedom begins with an admission of your sin. You don't need Jesus if you're not a sinner. So you don't know that you need Jesus if you don't admit that your sins, right? The first step is admitting that I have a problem. You heard that phrase before? Right? The first step is admitting that I have a problem. Hi, I'm Anthony, and I'm a sinner. Thank you. All right, try that again. You know the response. Hi, I'm Anthony, and I'm a sinner. Now your turn to admit. Right? So I want you, hi, I'm, put your name in, and I'm a sinner. Right? Ready? Go. Well, there you go. Paul, all on his own. Right? No. Right? All of us. Let's go. Hi. Right? The first, or the admission price into freedom is, it begins with an admission of your sin. And so what does that admission get us? It gets us Jesus. Right? Because any failure is an opportunity to fall into the grace of Jesus again. Right? Too often, when we sin, we think we need to run from Jesus. Right? That was what Adam and Eve, the very first thing they did. They sinned, they realized that they were uh, naked and ashamed, and they hid. They thought, maybe if we hide, God won't find us. Right? And, and God was like, oh, where'd they go? Right? How many of you children, or how many of you as children, or as adults, when you were uh, you know, younger as children, or now as adults, how many of you, you mess up, and you're, the first instinct is, hide it? Right? Uh, mom won't notice her favorite uh, lamp being broken if we just hide it somewhere. And she sits down to read, and she goes, huh, I don't have any light here. I wonder what happened. Right? Hiding it doesn't work. But any failure is an opportunity to fall into the grace of Jesus again. Our sins should, want, should cause us to run to Jesus because our sins remind us not only do we need Jesus, but that Jesus came for us. Last week, Greg introduced us to chapter 89. Anybody remember what chapter 89 was? Great. All right, chapter 89. Uh, there are 89 chapters in the Gospels. Right? If you add up Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, there are 89 total chapters. The very last chapter is John chapter 21. This is after Jesus has died, after he has risen, after he has appeared to the disciples, uh, you know, the ten of them, and then Thomas says, I need to see it. And so Jesus appears to Thomas. Let me read you the very first four words of the last chapter of the Gospels. Afterward, Jesus appeared again. 
When we ended that story of Peter and he went away and wept bitterly, it felt like that should be the end. But Jesus appeared again. As you think through the hurts in your life, the the self-inflicted wounds or the wounds that others have afflicted on you and you you look at the the wounds that really need, that that you've placed band-aids over but need attention, need medical attention, Jesus appears again. And again, this week is about ripping off those band-aids and letting the great physician come into our lives to stitch us up and heal our wounds. Your story is not done. Jesus appeared again. So this week, let's rip off those band-aids. Let's let Jesus in. Let's let the great physician in to heal us because he appears again. In just a minute, he's going to appear again, right? Uh, Sometimes when I use the fancy words, I say, in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ. All that means is that you have called me to, to be Jesus to you. I'm not Jesus, but I get to speak his words on his behalf when I get to say that your sins are forgiven. Jesus appears again in that moment. And then a little while later, Jesus appears again in his body and his blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Jesus appears again. Your story is not done. Jesus has set you apart to be something and to do something special. Even when you sin, Jesus appears again. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if the wounds that are that need those band-aids ripped off, if those are self-inflicted or other-inflicted. But can we read those wor- these words, the, the first four words of the 89th chapter of the Gospel, John chapter 21, can we read these together as a reminder of who our Savior is? Afterward, Jesus appeared again. And may He appear to you over and over and over this week. Amen? Amen.